Tuesday, January the 30th, 2024, and let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We begin with our scripture of the week, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, in a piece by me entitled, The Curse of Wisdom. Then, Pastor Emily Larson and I will talk scripture, and more specifically, how we can follow God when it's not clear how to do that. But first, a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more or ever again see the great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. Sophocles' Oedipus Rex contains a deep reflection on the nature of prophets and prophecy. A blood plague has beset Thebes, and the king, Oedipus, and the rest of the populace desperately want to know how to stop the devastation. A cryptic report comes in from the Delphic Oracle that the murderer of the old king now causes the current illness. Then, the blind prophet Tiresias arrives, and Oedipus immediately seeks his help. Tiresias does know the truth, both of the matter and the struggle of prophets. As Tiresias says in lines 429 through 433, wisdom is a curse when wisdom does nothing for the man who has it. Once I knew this well, but I forgot I never should have come. He bears the curse of knowing who killed the old king, and that this wisdom will not help him. Oedipus keeps pushing. Tiresias keeps deflecting, until finally Oedipus shifts to a personal attack on the prophet's integrity. Tiresias delivers the truth to a predictable result. Tiresias, you, it's you. What plagues the city is you. The plague is you. Oedipus, do you know what you are saying? Do you think I will let you get away with these vile accusations? Tiresias, I am safe. The truth lives in me, and the truth is strong. Oedipus, who taught you this truth of yours, not your prophet's craft? From lines 4 seven nine through four eighty seven of Sophocles Oedipus Rex. It's literally a tale as old as time, spoilers for a twenty five hundred year old play. Tiresias knows that Oedipus, without knowing it, killed his father, the old king, and married his mother, the current queen. Oedipus was sent away from his family because of a prophecy when he was a baby. He had no idea that the rulers of Thebes were his parents, or that the man he killed on the roadside was his father. Eventually, the full truth comes out, and Oedipus suffers for rejecting the words of Tiresias. Still, the prophet delivers the divine truth placed within him, only to have those words rejected and his character questioned. 
In a similar vein, the Old Testament contains a vast graveyard of ignored prophecy. For every Nineveh repenting at Jonah's word and David falling before the prophet Nathan after the Bathsheba liaison, we hear volumes from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others telling God's people how to avoid an exile. The nation failed to heed their warnings, and away to exile they went. Hosea spends his entire prophetic career telling the northern kingdom to turn from their growing heresy, which they promptly ignore. Despite the fact that the role of prophet means serving as a conduit for God's truth, the bulk of our collected prophetic witness falls on deaf ears. The curse of wisdom remains consistent. The New Testament adds its own spin on the suffering of prophets. John the Baptist gets his head put on a platter. Jesus goes to the cross in part because a certain subset of folks didn't like the divine truth that he had to stay. Stephen gets stoned to death immediately after he takes on a prophetic role. And in Revelation 10, John has to confirm his new role of prophet by eating a scroll. As it says in Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said, Take it and eat it. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. They said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. The sweetness derives from delivering the word of God, but it comes with a discomforting bitterness of often getting unreceived. John immediately relates a vision of that bitterness in the next chapter. Two prophets warn the people of their coming doom for 1260 days. For their service, the beast comes up from the depths and kills them, and the people celebrate this move. As it says in verses 9 and 10 of that chapter, For three and a half days, members of the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb, and the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to the inhabitants of the earth. God rewards their faithfulness by raising them from the dead and welcoming them into heaven. But the people that they gave their lives to save suffered the exact fate that these prophets sought so diligently to help them avoid. Across time and cultures, the pattern begins to feel like destiny. The prophet speaks divine truth. We ignore it and potentially harm the prophet for their attempt to help. It seems like more often than not, we fail to heed God's instruction in Deuteronomy 18 to heed. God warns us that this failure will come with consequences. We continue on our generation's long project of ignoring God's words prophetically delivered. These may be words spoken by a human, but the concept of prophecy is that God puts these words into the mouth of said human. Prophets get ignored because often they deliver the messages from God that we don't like to hear. We like our words of comfort and grace from God. Sometimes, like 
the return from exile passages in the third section of Isaiah, or the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel, prophets get the nice job that people love. You get to go home! God can bring life into the direst of circumstances. However, following in the tradition of Moses, catching the people worshipping a calf and delivering the law, prophets spend a good chunk of their time on the accountability and uncomfortable truth end of divine communications. We tend to detest and avoid anything that sounds like a bummer or getting called out. Thus, we inflict the curse of wisdom on the prophet and ignore the knocking of the divine. Given that Sophocles wrote two millennia ago and still remains on many high school and college curriculums, one might think that we would learn. Deuteronomy 18 is even older and contained in arguably the best-selling book of all time. You can even steal it from most hotel rooms. Still, we don't learn. We don't heed. We keep face-planting into the consequences. We should try breaking the curse and see what it's like on the other side. So as you just heard in the piece, uh, this is a podcast where you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> One week I may talk about baseball. Uh, the next week I may be talking about Sophocles. Um, and so <laughs> this week I talked about so th- th- this this literally came to me almost in a dream. Um, really? I was, uh, I, was, uh, I was taking a nap on the day that I needed to write this piece. And I was like, how am I going to talk about prophecy? And then what came to me was Sophocles. <laughs> Can draw inspiration from anywhere. Well, it, you sure. know, it is that, you know, this is what happens when you put the theater major in charge of writing. The thing is, you know, I had to read... Uh, I feel like every year from the, you know, age of 17 to the age of 22, I had to read something by Sophocles every year. Really? Uh, yes, it was either it was either Oedipus Rex um, or Antigone um, or the whatever the middle one is that I forget. Um, but yeah, it was one of the, there, you know, there are three um, in the, 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 the um, Oedipus, the Oedipus cycle. Uh, there are three plays and Oedipus at Colonus. Don't quote me. Um, anyway, so uh, this time it was Oedipus Rex because I had like I had this image of the prophet. I had this image of the blind prophet Tiresias coming in and being utterly ignored, having the like knowing the thing he has to say, knowing that he's right, and then being utterly ignored. And then I'm looking at you know, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20. And it says literally divine instruction. Don't ignore these guys. And yet we consistently do. And this is the problem of prophecy. And then the sermon, I kind of took it to its next logical extent, which is another angle of attack on the function, you know, functional polytheism. That is to say that we, run modern humans modern christians tend to run their lives as if there are multiple gods or multiple altars you call them gods and all gets complicated i understand that you know most people don't intellectually think their job is a god or you know their free time is a god but functionally these all become different altars that we worship at and 
God just becomes one of these altars that gets a limited amount of our time and attention. But at the heart of saying heed the prophet is heed God. And so right. in the sermon I drew in, I made a nod to it in the piece, but in the sermon I made the core illustration, the interaction between the prophet Nathan and David when David gets busted for um, uh, uh, having, sex with, having yeah. sex with Bathsheba mm-hmm. um, and then getting her husband killed. Right. And the prophet busts in. I really, I think I was picturing Snape in Harry Potter. Because um, so famously, With the swirling cloak, the swirling fun, the... you know, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Snape in the movie version of the Harry Potter is just very good at at sweeping in. It's always like a, you know, and, and some of it has to do with amazing acting, but it's always just like the flourish of robes. And so I think this is the, the that was clearly what I had in mind as I described to the congregation uh, was uh, what you know, what if uh, the prophet Nathan was Severus Snape, Snape as yes. portrayed in the films. But there's just this flourish of robes. But basically, the prophet Nathan busts in on the king, a thing that normally doesn't happen, and then tells the king, you've done extremely wrong. It's going to go bad for you. And David doesn't kill him. Instead, David listens to him. Right. Well, but I mean, how many of us have ever been on the receiving end of advice that we just didn't ask for, or we just didn't want, or we didn't want to hear? Um, You know, even if we know it's for the best of us, or... how many of us have ever had to give advice to someone who we love that maybe was not ready to receive that word of truth from us? And so I think it's, I mean, it's pretty clear that we do this throughout all of our lives, um, but also throughout scripture. There's, yeah. you know, yeah. there's this call to speak truth in love. Um, and, you know, it was interesting. I was listening to a family member of mine was sitting in a different service uh, yesterday, not the family that came to visit our service, don't worry. Um, but <laughs> a family member of mine that was sitting in a service yesterday was talking about the preacher and the, the word that he was hearing. And he said, you know, I just, I feel like I'm getting griped at. I don't feel like I'm receiving you know, any joy in the word. And I'm like, well, you know, pastors and and preachers are called to speak truth and love um, and to bring conviction, yeah. right? Like we, we are meant to do that um, because, you know, if we're not, we're not there to just tickle people's ears and to, you know, give them a pat on the back, make them feel good and send them home on a Sunday morning. Um, there should be true change that comes when you listen to a sermon. You know, there should be a call to action um, but I think the difference there is it wasn't conviction that he was hearing. It was condemnation. Yeah. Um, and and there is no condemnation in love. So I, I feel like that speaking truth in love, you have to have the love piece, right? Like you have to have the person that cares enough about you to speak truth to you. Um, but I think that picks up on a thing that I didn't draw out in either of the pieces, but it's definitely in that scripture and a way to take it is – Multiple times it says, a person from your own people. Yes. A person from your own people. God will call a person from your own people. From within your community will come and speak to you. Absolutely. Right. That that there is is this connect. And that is assume connection. Right. Right. That this is not some um, outside force. This is not someone who, uh, you know, misunderstands the history or misunderstands the whatever. This is a, like, long-term relationship. Because if you, this is a prophet like Moses. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean to be like Moses? One of the things it means to be like Moses is Moses, although he did not grow up with the people, is born of the people. Right. 
back to our, our conversation about letter for Birmingham jail, right? You know, right. I, I, I'm not sure I structured it this way, really meaning to structure it this way, but we're just doing just deep on profits, modern yes. and ancient. Yes. Um, and it goes back to the, our discussion about um, my preaching professor who like the most prophetic preachers he knew were people who could build that relationship. And in building that relationship, then they could really guide and change and shape people. And that seems baked into this model of prophet. We actually see it in Sophocles too, right? Like Tracy is, is known as the prophet, right? Like he right. is, um, there is that relationship there and that gives, you know, because even Tresius doesn't, like, get immediately killed. Um, but that, <laughs> like, gives it that, that sh- part of how it, the shot of being heard is that it is not just condemnation. It is, I know you, but also this is what God told me to say. And by God, um, I'm going to say it. And this is also, I mean, this is influencer culture too, right? This is modern marketing techniques, right? You can put a billboard up all day long and people might or might not listen to it. But if your friend says, hey, I've tried this product and I think you'll really like it, you are a whole lot more likely to buy it or to buy into whatever it is. that. Or you're creating parasocial relationships so that people will feel that way about you with the purpose of building profits. And this is the actual, this is is the like. (laughs) Also that. (laughs) This is like, you know, again, like says us doing this show for the internet, right? Like, you know, um, I I, I am both like deeply skeptical of, uh, of, of parasocial marketing Meanwhile, anyone who does a podcast is guilty of adventures in parasociality because what is a podcast if not a, creating an opportunity for a person to hear a, some hear something as if they are the third person at the table? And actually, you know, for us, yeah. we, we, we get to be in the in the same uh, whoop uh, same studio for the first time for in forever in a very long time. I know I'm actually here in the same room. In the same studio. It's You're beautiful. breathing the dust. It makes I'm you stronger. I'm breathing the dust and feeling the freezing cold. Yeah. So okay. So of... <laughs> in my own in, in my own defense, dear reader, um, <laughs> Emily, you know, I've been complaining about the cold in the studio for a number of weeks because uh, Houston is in, 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 in it is the dead of winter in Houston. It's not mm-hmm. that cold outside, um, but it is colder in here consistently than it is outside. Um, and Emily, who lives in a much colder place, and I was like, man, it's really cold in there. I like, can yeah. now... We've been on this like whole series of. Of, of living in the prophets mm-hmm. and in doing that we have it has been this kind of this series that has ended up being about how do you how what does it mean that we we're going to hear things we don't want to hear right and how is it that we hear them and it and it is this reflection on accountability and frankly how little we like it and so right Last week, I certainly in the piece kind of took the positive pitch on accountability of like, hey, this really like look at the like if you let the accountability in your life, look what it can do. Right. And and used kind of the my very personal. This was kind of the other side of it is like um, recognizing, um, you know, from this trope from Greek literature that is at least as old (laughs) as the Old Testament. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, In this trope from Greek literature, also the trope in biblical literature, the trope of ancient literature, which remains true today, is we brush prophecy aside. And then I think the sermon is the kicker to that of understanding how out of order that means that this very structure of our lives 
that as structured, we heed the prophet, not because there's anything particularly special about the prophet um, as a human, right? They are not, um, you know, again, you know, we say the phrase Moses parts the Red Sea. That's not true. God parts the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea using Moses, right? Right. That like Moses is a special dude, but not because he's in, imbued with magical powers or like, they're, they're, but because he says yes to God. Right. But, but solely because he has yes to God and then he has this special relationship with God. Beyond that, Moses is just a dude. He dies like everybody else. Elijah ascends, but like that is only because God said, up oh, you come. Prior right. to that, like Elijah, just normal dude, poke just a prophet, a dude. Yep. poke a prophet and they bleed. What makes them special? This is different when we get to Jesus, but Jesus is more than a prophet. Um, what makes them special is the words that they say and that they are going to be of God. And at least in the, uh, the, the Deuteronomy 18 construction, if they don't speak the word of God, they're going to die. <laughs> you must speak the word of God or else you'll know the prophet wasn't uh, legitimate if they die, by the way. <laughs> I, so my wife and I ended up in this debate um, last night. And so we're watching um, one of the uh, documentaries on... Uh, on one of the we're watching a cult documentary in a long series of cult documentaries um and this cult documentary happens to be uh, uh actually about uh, a current resident of the texas department of criminal justice um uh warren jeffs oh. um wait, yes um yeah. he's uh where he's at palage he's mm-hmm. at the palage unit mm-hmm. um anyone who served uh it, it, anyone who served in palestine knows more about tdcj than anyone ever thought we ever would right. um uh, and he obviously is set up to be a prophet. And, uh, right. you know, Sydney is teasing me of like, well, I listened to the sermon of yours. Yes, dear. Yes, you did. Um, uh, why isn't he dead? Because um, <laughs> clearly not a true prophet, right? Well, yes. Uh. But also, like, that is a specific construction of, like, an ancient Hebrew prophet that is, it is not always, right. you know, I, it's not always so clean cut. The, right. the benefit that David has is that Nathan is clearly the prophet, and thus what Nathan has to say is clearly God's truth. Right. It all gets a ton more muddy. It is much harder and much muddier for us because even if, and I, I, I am willing to bet that most of us aren't there yet, I'm certainly not always there, um, willing to say, yeah, 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 no. Uh, it's like the, the, the refrain of the sermon, you know, God first and everything else. Right. Um, even if I'm there, it isn't always clear and easy to know what the word of God is for us because we don't have the blind prophet Teresius. We don't have those like really clear cut, this is the word of God, now go do it. We don't have the like literal human that is like Moses. And and how often do you hear people? I think I I guess I read it somewhere one time that someone was like, "Man, I wish God would just come and sit on my bedside and be like, this is what you got to go and do, and this is the right thing, and this is the wrong thing, and this is what I meant to say in scripture." And you and 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 we don't necessarily have that. We have other avenues, other filters, other sermons and scriptures and people and prophets and teachers to to hear the word of God from and through. Um, but it's learning how to filter through all of those things that... And I can absolutely commiserate. Look, my, the like, the part of my job that no one sees, right? Like, you want the like, you, you want the senior pastor life. 
I'm not sure you do, but I'm not sure I do, right? And this is you, you mean you don't just work on Sundays? You mean you work more than just on Sundays? Well, what right, do you like do the rest of the week, right, Trey? Right. Try to dis- discernment. <laughs> right. It is the like I trust me. I can commiserate. Um, yeah, this you know we preached I don't know a million years ago, several weeks ago about how pastors don't get to talk about calling. Right when we right. talked about Samuel and Eli, right? Right. Like, right pastors right. don't get to talk about calling, and so yeah. I got this like really clear message of like, okay, like this is the direction that you're like the big picture direction that your life is meant to go. You're meant to take this role. Okay, cool. So from that point on, my job becomes how do I just how do I figure out what this church is supposed to do? What and and that is discernment, right? right? And then it, you know again, it's not just up to me. Right, you know, we believe in this kind of broader community approach. But even still, like in the end, the the buck stops with me. Of I gotta figure out and really feel confident about this is the direction that God is leading us to go. And I don't have the like prophet Nathan or the like, you know, <laughs> always have the like very clear voice of God in my head. And so I have to like, you know. I, read scripture and drive around the community and listen to congregation members and read the newspaper. I, I literally, every town I city I'm in, I subscribe to the for real newspaper um, so that I can understand <laughs> what is happening in newspapers the still exist too. Like this is all news, you know, although someone told me the other day that podcasting was uh, going the way of the newspaper and that made me a little sad too. They said only old people listen to podcasts. So if you are not an old person, let us know. Yeah, um, but this is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you run the demography on podcasts, this yeah. is defining old as over 25. Millennial. Yeah, that's to be fair. It was my teenagers that were saying that podcasts were for old people and they think I'm really, really old people. So, you know. Right. And so it is <laughs> podcast. It is. So podcasts have been around for 20, for more than 20 years. And right. so the I first started listening to podcasts. I was in college, and so I think I started listening to podcasts in like 07, 06. Sometime way back when. Right? Like there was a a podcast I used to listen to. I learned a lot about podcasting from called Buzz Out Loud, and it started in 2005 and ended in 2012. And when it ended, it was one of the longest-running podcasts out there, Um, and it had made it seven years and ended 12 years ago. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yes, at some point, like, other mediums will emerge. This just happens to be a medium that I'm really comfortable with. But the medium of um, parasocial conversation into microphones is not changing. It's just the format is changing. Anyways, right, I, right, right. I digress. But yeah, so it, it is this, like, I have to pull, I spend so much of my life trying to pull in as much data as possible both literal, like, data and, like, human and then scripture and then a lot of, like, sitting in my office staring at the wall praying, dear God, help. Yeah, to be able to then filter yeah. through all of that information in media and become, you know, to, to discern, right? Yeah. That's what discernment is. And, like, it gets and, – and, like, sometimes I wonder, right, like, we get that these Old Testament prophets are getting the word of God. And as 
presented is just the word of God came to them and then they said X, right? right? But this is the same book that can summarize like 40 years of journeying in a few chapters of Exodus. Right. And so we don't actually know like... Their process. Yeah. Right. Like what, what did the prophets actually do? Did they also take in all of the information from local, well, I guess not newspapers, but whatever the media right, but like, of the day. They definitely but, have a, like a sociological bend, right? Like, right, in their community and all of those things. And then filter through and find the word of God, right? And so we phrase it as, they, thus says the Lord. And I, I'm not making some claim that they don't speak for God. I just wonder, knowing what the process is like for me to then, you know, I, to come up with the thus says the Lord um, for this church, Right, like I wonder sometimes, what was their actual process like? Right. Um, you know, when uh, clearly when we're in heaven, we're going to get to interview all the dead people we've ever wanted to interview. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, I would love to sit down, maybe not with an Ezekiel. He seems a bit weird. Sit down with one of the Isaiahs. They seem one much of the same. Isaiahs, or yeah, or, Can, you know, or, or you know, it, a Nathan it, or and, someone. Yeah, you know. sit down with Deborah, someone. Yeah, yeah, sit down and go. So, how did God talk to you? Mm-hmm. Right. How did you know that like, cause there is like, you feel it in your soul, but like that takes to me and maybe, you know, we're, we're back to, uh, perhaps I'm the least spiritual human ever to have this job. I wonder. Um, but like, how did you, like, what was that experience like for you? Cause I know what the experience is like for me and I'm not trying to lead a nation. I'm just trying to lead a medium sized United Methodist church. But I, I know for me, it is like, to get to a reasonable level of confidence, it involves ta- a a lot of time and a lot of different data streams to really know. No, this is not just the misfiring of the voices of my head, which is a very real thing. This is actually the word of God for the people of God. Yeah. So maybe you know, maybe if we talked about this more often, yeah. then it would be easier for us to do what you said in your sermon, which is put God first and stop worshiping at other altars, right? Um, to have everything else line up in um, the order that, that God needs us to. Because we we talk about, you know, making financial decisions and family decisions and vocational decisions and, you know, where you're going to work, what you're going to do with your life. All of those things should be filtered through um, the voice of God in your life, right? They should yeah, be absolutely. determined by what it is that God wants you to do. But then so often I wonder if people ask themselves the question, well, how do I do that, yeah. right? Like, how do I discern where God is telling me to spend my money or my time or, you know, what decisions I'm supposed to make with my family? Well, and this goes back to often the people who are teaching you are the worst people to teach you it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, this is so often we are being taught by the people for whom it was easy. I have this argument in academia, mm-hmm. right? So I am pretty open about this. I am very dyslexic and ADHD is all get out. You might've picked up on some of that. Um, <laughs> and uh, I would have professors assign 400 pages of reading in a week. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're me, this is embarrassing. I can't, so uh, I'll lay whatever on the table. I can't always read restaurant menus. I'm a person with four university degrees. I cannot always process a restaurant menu in the time it takes um, for the, them to put the menu in front of me and me be able to order. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and, and so often, like, if I'm at a drive-thru, I ter- I'm terrified of drive-thrus. <laughs> uh, I have a phobia of drive-thrus because if it's a drive-thru I've never been to, I have no idea what's on the menu. And so sometimes if I'm at an unfamiliar drive-thru and I can't avoid it, I just order the first thing I can read. 
right? Okay, yeah. so this is the level of like, you know, taking in the data of the written word is very difficult for me. And so when a professor would assign 400 pages of reading, even if they're thinking you're going to be able to do things like skim and like, you know, selectively read, and they always, uh, there's a book out there called How to Gut a Book or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they always tell you to read that. And, and for most people, it's great advice, but not when you're dyslexic. Right. And so academia, and, and then I had the, the professor who I will not name, but who I can do an impression of, um, who would say, if you are do." 50%, of the reading, you might get a she in my class. By the way, I did less than 50% of the reading and I got an A minus. Hmm. Um, so take that, professor. <laughs> um, but for that professor, it was probably very easy. It was very, it was doable, right? So because of, like professors are a self-selected group mm-hmm. um, who for whom largely they could do the reading. And so, of course, they can't imagine a world where you could pass their class without doing the reading. Meanwhile, I've developed enough tricks over my ages um, uh, and am mildly smarter than the average bear, perhaps, uh, that I could gut it out. And I'm really good at context clues and I'm really good at extrapolating from a little bit of data to the larger data set, right? Right. So what reading I can get into my brain, I can then start to make the web of connections of where this goes. Blah, blah, blah. I've developed my own strategies over time. But a professor telling you this is how much reading you can do to pass my class is really bad data because the professor was probably got to that point in their life because they were pretty darn good at the reading. Yeah. And so a a religious leader... A religious leader telling you how to discern... The voice of God in your life and then to make all of your decisions based on that. Yeah, you're, you're being taught by the worst possible person because we have to do it all the time, day in, day out. Well, and theoretically, we got called to this because we were mildly good at it, which is why I right. find it hilarious that I'm here because I'm not sure that I'm even mildly <laughs> sure good at this. Sure you are. Sure uh, you are. But like, I, or, you know, I don't, so this is one of those things that I don't know what it's like. It's a really weird question to ask. Like... And, and maybe this is the question we all should be asking each other more, is like, what is it like for you to know that this is the will of God? And for me, how it has worked for me is it is when all of those data points start to form a resonance. I would use the, like a musical term, form a resonance, right? But mm-hmm. like, so I think about a, a really great example is um, when we were trying to figure, you know, figure out what to do with Grace Church people a second chance and you know are we gonna what are we gonna do do we need an activities building right and so I finally committed to like yeah we should do an activities building when like um, my children's director is like nervous about VBS because are we gonna have enough space um, and other people are coming to me like yeah we really want like more Sunday school classes and I'm like yeah no that's a great idea where are you going to put them or, like we really want to do like a combined Sunday school hour and we're, it needs more classes I'm like yeah and uh, where where are they gonna go yeah. and like we sold a property um, long real theme in my own work sold a property <laughs> And so we had money that we'd never had before and we didn't have, it was not earmarked for anything else. And so there was all of these data streams coming through of, oh, okay, this sounds like a plan. Right. Then a global pandemic hit and a lot of other strange, and the world got strange. Right. Um, and so, you know, um, but that is, how did I discern that that becomes a thing that I'm really going to throw my weight behind of this is a big direction for our church. It was this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece start to harmonize together of, oh, okay, 
yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes all the stars align and, and you can have some real certainty in your discernment. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Sometimes it's real hard. Um, sometimes you just go, no, this is the thing that I know is right. I'm not sure why I know this is right, but I know that this is where God wants me right here, right now. Um, and yeah. that, that can make discernment hard. Well, and also back to another person that comes up a lot in the show because it comes, he comes up a lot in my mind is Reinhold Niebuhr right. and, and the idea of Christian realism that uh, just because you're not totally certain does not get you out of acting. Right. That there is this balance of, we always have to hold intention a few things, right? One is that you are not always going to know. Exactly right. You're not always going to have the benefit of your Nathan's, Tracy's, whatever, mm-hmm. showing up and saying that. Go, go do, the thing. do it. Yeah. Um, just because you don't know does not get you out of the responsibility of acting. Yes. Right. That you are not, I don't always know what exactly is the right direction. But if you, like, you are called to faithfulness, and one, sometimes that faithfulness means. Stepping out when you're not 100% certain, certain, but being willing to step out anyways. Yes. And trusting that God holds that future, even though you don't know where the next step is going to be. Absolutely. Well, the other piece is that's, and, and thus we get to another thing that came up the sermon towards the end, which is also the idea of grace. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that God, to me, the thing that God is looking for is the faithfulness, not the perfection and the execution. Right. That it is... To me, as I kind of build my own kind of theology out of, you know, Wesley and Niebuhr and Bonhoeffer and MLK and this kind of the theologians that shape me is you've got to step out. You're not always going to know perfectly. And that is what grace is for. To fill that gap. When you... Uh, because God works in spite of us, not yeah. just because of us, right? Um, this is where grace comes in. But you you are still called to action, right? Inaction is a choice, um, just like action is. And so choosing to step out in faith is always going to be the right action. Right, because it's very easy, very easy to get out, get yourself out of a need to act. By saying, well, I don't really know if it's God anyways. And so I just can't go do whatever. I'm not really sure. So I'm just going to do whatever. And so that is, that you know. It's an easy excuse. It's an easy out for sure. And the the other piece is, uh, you know, how do we do this? This goes back to, um, in some ways, this is a series about prophecy. But also in some ways, this is a series about discipleship. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it is also very easy to say, I don't know what God is saying in my life. Meanwhile, I am not opening myself up to many opportunities for God to speak. I am really right. just hoping that God is going to show up as a voice in my head. I really think that that is the main way that God's discernment works, which is certainly not my experience, my personal experience. Right. And so I am not going to open myself up to anything other than I am sitting alone in my room and I hear the voice of the Lord calling, which does happen we i know right. both the scriptural people plenty and real living people a plenty for whom that's how that works mm-hmm. but you uh you close if if you are not living into the totality of a life of faith you are closing off the opportunities by which god speaks 
Right. Or you're closing yourself off to the opportunity to hear from a prophet, from right. a modern day exactly. prophet, right? Um, because there are those who still speak the word of God and those friends and those family and those people in your life that should be speaking truth and love. Um, so maybe be open to hearing the truth, right? Yeah, that it is. I, again, it's not... I, 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 wish, I wish, God, I wish um, it was always as straightforward as listen to Nathan Tracy as the person like Moses. Right. Um, or the voice in your head of God, right? Make that clear cut. Absolutely, this is what God said. And so we can say with certainty 100%. But still, the priority, is, the priority should be what it is, what, what, it, what it has always been meant to be. And that is we... Put God first. And by putting God first, part of that means thus seeking God out. Mm-hmm. Opening up the like the increasing the surface area, right? <laughs> opening up the opening up as many possibilities for God to speak, recognizing the multitude of ways that we can hear the voice of a prophet like Moses. It might be the words of Moses and literal right. Moses. Right. It might be the, you know, as I talked about last week, my, you know, um, pa- you know, the pastor of, you know, David Hyman, the pastor of uh, the Wesley Foundation, speaking clearly a word of, of, you know, accountability of prophecy into my own life. It might be the, like, you know, audible or the just the overwhelming feeling this is what we're supposed to do. And like that, certainly I have experienced lim- have limited, but the personal experience of that version of it it could be you're reading you know i can't tell you how you know much reading dietrich bonhoff for the first time you know a guy had been dead for 60 years when i you know shredded me to my core right read cost of discipleship if you haven't been shredded to your core lately about you know well read about cost of discipleship and then take you know it's really easy to you know say hey just give everything to jesus and you go "Yeah, yeah yeah oh oh he then did that Oh, but actually, he and then, did that. And then they killed him for, oh. Because yes. that was the, like, you know, I, I've probably described this before, but I, I first read Cost of Discipleship Alone um, in a house in the mountains of North Georgia. I had to write this <laughs> massive paper on it, and I was behind. Back to the... Um, and uh, Cost of Discipleship, by the way, available as an audiobook, which is really important. Um, and so I am, like, alone in this personage... Um, in the true middle of nowhere, um, sitting on a dead guy's couch, um, couch that uh, per, the person had died, and that's why I had that couch, um, as with all the furniture in that house. The church had thankfully stocked it from the, you know, furniture of their, uh, you know, departed relatives, mm-hmm. um, which is great because I didn't have any furniture. Right. Sitting in this dead guy's couch alone um, at like two o'clock in the morning, um, living exclusively on Reese's peanut butter cups. Um, that's healthy. It's healthy. It's both sugar and protein. <laughs> Yeah, that I don't know the, if they count. That was the thought process. I don't know. Don't look at me. Um, <laughs> and just absolutely being gutted. Yeah. Absolutely being gutted by, he's right. Bonhoeffer is fundamentally theologically right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who are fundamentally theologically right, you can reject because they, you know, they just write these nice words or they just yell at you about, you should do this. And then, you know, they don't do it. Right. And the the real problem with Casa Discipleship and, you know, again, part of what helped me, you know, what helped make it clear to me that, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at least in my life and in the way I approach the ministry is one of those people who speaks the word of God is he then went and did it. Yeah. And the Nazis kill him for it. Yeah. 
Or, I mean, we talked about MLK's yeah. letter from a Birmingham jail. You don't get, you know, that unless you are living that life that got you thrown into a Birmingham jail. Um, so, yeah, listen to some good theologians that way. <laughs> See right. how they live their life. See how they, you know, and, and so that is another one of the, you know, clearly, um, and, and this is like, you know, a, a lot of people will tell you you should reach out to the poor, the forgotten, and the left behind. And John Wesley, we talked about last week, right? Last week with uh, Dr. Ashley Boken. Like, Mm -hmm. John Wesley goes in the early Methodists, actually went and did that. And did that thing. Yeah, they actually went out and created the public houses and created the ministries and the accountability groups to call each other out to speak truth and love when they were not uh, doing what they were called and preaching to do. And so, yeah, discernment is hard. But it is also the work that we are called to do so that we can live into the spirit of this scripture that our key task is to heed God, right? The word heed gets used twice in this scripture, Mm -hmm. right? Like we are called to heed God. And so the work, some of that work is giving ourselves the maximum opportunity to know how to, the methodology by which uh, we can heed God. Mm-hmm. And, and as, as good a place as any uh, to uh, to bring this discussion um, in for landing. Thank you so much for joining us um, on this uh, very rare edition of the Goodness of God podcast, uh, where we can be in the, the same room. The same studio. Uh, Great. It, it, it just, doesn't, just doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so if you have feedback or want to talk, I, I would actually, you know, again, uh, we, we welcome feedback, but I would love to hear about stories of discernment, right? Um, if you uh, have, if, how does discernment work for you? I think this is the thing we need to talk about. Like, clearly, this is the thing we need to talk about more. Uh, you can post it. And if you're watching on any of the video platforms of which this is, including our website, YouTube, or Facebook, uh, post in the comments. Uh, if you uh, are an email person, email us, thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. That is thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. If you are interested in more of the things that happen out of this studio, out of the Media Lab, uh, just follow us on at Servants Now on all the things at YouTube, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, um, and our website, uh, servantsnow.org. Everything we do in here is made possible by a generous innovators grant, the Texas Annual Conference, the United Methodist Church. If you would like to also help support this work, we need your help. Uh, the biggest things you can do is share uh, this content. Like, comment, subscribe, right? Like, sh- sh- tell other people. Uh, if you get something out of this, maybe someone else will. Um, and so share it. Um, also, leave us uh, five-star uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts. That helps like us rise. We're, we're fighting the algorithms, friends. That helps us rise up uh, the algorithms. And so all of that makes a difference to us. But also, what makes a difference to us is our invitation. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.